not only to have um, that peace of mind about, you know, if, if something bad were to happen or some emergency comes up, they have that kind of safety net they can fall back on. Um, it also allows those soldiers the ability to focus even more on their unit's mission. Welcome to the Bluff Podcast, where you get the bottom line up front and we won't waste your time. Welcome back to another episode of The Bluff Line. Again, I am your host, Command Sergeant Major Juan Jimenez, coming at you from Redstone Arsenal. Uh, again, I want to thank all my listeners out there for tuning in. Uh, as we continue these episodes, there are much demand for people to come on and get interviewed by myself on The Bluff Line. And again, by popular demand, we were able to bring and would like to talk to you about a program that's near and dear to the Army, to myself, and to a lot of people that have uh, been helped by this program, and it's the Army Emergency Relief Program. I was able to bring on one of our own HHCs, Commander Captain Hunter Wilson, to kind of explain a little bit about the AER program, the Army Emergency Relief, and talk a little bit about himself as we uh, discuss back and forth on how important this program is to us. Without further ado, I'm going to pass the mic over to Captain Wilson to talk to us a little bit about your background, sir. Perfect. First and foremost, uh, thank you so much, Sergeant Major, for this opportunity. My first time being on a podcast, so that's pretty neat. So just just wanted to say thank you before I kick it off here. Uh, like you said, my name is uh, Captain Hunter Wilson. I'm an MI officer by by trade, and I am the HHC company commander here for Aviation and Missile Command, or uh, AMCOM for short. So I'm coming here from Vicenza, Italy. It was my last duty station and been here about about four or five months now at, at Redstone. Well, thank you for uh, being on our podcast and taking some time. I know you uh, stay pretty busy as the commander for HHC, pretty much for <laughs> all of Redstone. I know you do uh, or you extend yourself out a lot to help the team here, and we thank you for that. And you know, as you explained, you know, you're coming from uh, Vicenza, right? Mm -hmm. I'm coming from Fort Hood. So, I mean, I would tell you that, you know, as green suitors, no matter where we go, where we get stationed, it's one of those things. It's a team concept. We come together, we make things happen, we accomplish the mission. And thank you for being on the podcast here, sir. Yeah, thank you. If you can talk to us a little bit about the AER program and as the officer liaison for this program and how it how it goes. Sure. So my, my official title for this is the AER campaign coordinator for Redstone Arsenal. So myself and First Sergeant Erica Vargas is the other the other campaign coordinator for uh, for Redstone for this year. So we're kind of in charge of making sure this campaign runs smoothly and and really the campaign goal is met for AER and that that stated goal from AER is that one hundred percent of all soldiers across the Army are informed of all of the various benefits that AER can actually give to them and, and some of those programs available to soldiers in need. And then the, the secondary purpose of the campaign is to provide soldiers as well as anyone else who wishes to the opportunity to donate to AER as a whole. Well, I mean, sir, I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the information that uh, we're giving out to our podcast listeners. I would tell you that, you know, this podcast is, uh, it was designed to to push out information so that people have a, another way of seeking out info. 
you know, not only the personnel and rest on Arsenal get the opportunity to listen in, but it, it goes out and anybody can kind of chime in on this podcast and know and understand that most, if not all installations have an AER coordinator or somewhere, somehow you can get information on, on how to donate. I, I would ask if the personnel around here, how could you donate here on rest on Arsenal if you were a... Uh, say a civilian or a contractor, DOD person, or even a service member and wanted to, to be able to donate and, and really didn't know how, how can, how could they do that? Sure. So there's, there's actually a couple different ways you can go about that. So first and foremost being, if you are a active duty military member, you can actually fill out a DA form 4908, which is an allotment form and turn that into your AAR key representative at your unit. And that kind of, that will allow them to input it in the system and, and start an allotment straight through through my pay um, from your, your monthly check. The second way is you can actually turn in, you know, cash check, cashier's check, anything along those lines to that, that key representative from your unit. And they'll hand it off to either myself or First Sergeant Vargas and we'll mail those donations into AR headquarters at the end of each week. And the final way, and what's what's really cool about this year is AR has actually updated their system and you can now actually donate online. So it, it's as simple as just, you know, Googling donate to Army Emergency Relief and it'll bring you to the, the Army Emergency Relief donation page. And you can actually donate online now with a credit card or PayPal or debit card. And you can either do a one-time payment there or set up an automatic payment, whatever whatever works best for you. So it's really cool that they've updated that this year for um, especially those personnel who aren't necessarily coming into the office. You don't have to come in to, to hand off that donation. You can do it all through their online forum. That's that's outstanding. And, and like in many other programs or um, companies that are out there, we're always looking and finding new ways of how we can conduct our business, especially, uh, you know, as we went through this COVID pandemic and as we slowly try to inch out of it, you know, we have to think of different ways. And, and I'm glad the AER program did that and, and help facilitate uh, opportunity for people to donate easier online or, or in person if they have to. Um, I would tell you that the AER, the Army Emergency Re Relief Program, exists to make sure that soldiers at all levels continue to stay focused on their mission and not necessarily have to really be uh, dependent on their financial problems if they fall into uh, some kind of situation. That's why I think it's near and dear to my heart is the AER program because it helps soldiers help other soldiers out. How important is this program uh, that, for you, sir? So it, it's it's really a, a pretty great program. If if you don't know, um, AR provides interest-free loans or grants or a combination of the two to soldiers in need. And it, it's it's really, I mean, kind of to your point, sorry, made a great system that really allows soldiers not only to have um, that peace of mind about you know if if something bad were to happen or some emergency comes up. They have that kind of safety net they can fall back on. Um, it also allows those soldiers the ability to focus even more on their unit's mission or accomplishing, you know, whatever whatever tasks are assigned, because they have that peace of mind 
in order to uh, not worry so much about, you know, emergencies that might come up or natural disasters or really uh, a wide variety of situations that can come up. So it's, I would say it's, it's an extremely important program and, and truly helpful for those that, that need it and those that use it throughout the Army. Right. No, most definite, sir. And, uh, you know, as we look into it again, you know, the AER programs, it's nonprofit, charitable organization, independent of and closely associated with the United States Army. And it really helps out. I mean, it was founded in uh, 1942 and this you know, organization has continued to help out soldiers. I can tell you that, you know, with the 28 years that I've been in the Army, I've seen it help out so many soldiers at, at different levels. And there are some approvals at, you know, uh, first Army commander level, and, and it goes on up depending on the amount that uh, a service member may need or uh, need help in. I can tell you that, you know, coming out of Fort Hood, uh, I had a couple of soldiers that, you know, really got into um, financial issues when their, um, their primary POV or, or personally owned vehicle broke down on them, and that was their only means of transportation. And, and the AER program really stepped in to to help them out and, and get them back on with their wheels and uh, able to get back and forth uh, to accomplish what we needed to accomplish. With that being said, sir, I mean, uh, if if anybody has any questions about the AER program or needs to contact uh, somebody just to, you know, say they're, they're unsure of donating, they want to know that if they donate some money, who is it going to go for? How does it go? Or, you know, just answer any kind of questions that they may have about the program. Who, who can they contact? Sure. So they're actually, um, this year, they actually put out an XORD from the Department of the Army. And that XORD actually required every Army installation across uh, the Army to assign a campaign coordinator team for each uh, installation, as well as to assign a AR key rep for each individual unit. And so, you know, no matter where you are in the Army, there should be an AR campaign coordinator at the post that you're at, or at the very least, a, an AR key rep in the unit that you're at, and that you can go to and, and talk through any of these questions, as well as, of course, the, the AR, you know, website is, is very informative, very easy to navigate. So and that can definitely answer some more of your questions as well. No, I mean, uh, I think that's some good information. You know, like you talked about, sir, look up the website. You get a lot of information on the AER program. Uh, if they're, if you're local and really need some information, you can call, you know, here locally. Like I said, most installations have a, a local coordinator or even the tenants have their AER reps that they can reach out to on, you know, making either a one-time donation or a monthly uh, allotment uh, donation or just go online and donate. So if they were to go online, say they're here at Rest on Want to donate, how can they ensure that they get credit for, or at least the, the organization here at Rest on would get credit? Sure. So when you actually go on the, the online donation portal, there's uh, two separate drop-down menus. And one of those menus, forget the exact name on the left side, but on that drop-down menu, you would select that you are located at Redstone Arsenal. And then once you select Redstone Arsenal, then uh, the next drop-down menu below that should be able to give you your individual unit that you fall under at Redstone. And that goes across the Army, so you can find any any post or any unit that's that's Army-affiliated in, that, in those drop-down menus. 
Uh, you're you're absolutely right, sir. And uh, you know, like you said, it goes out to all, all the units of whatever organization you're a part of. You know, you go into that section box and select the the organization, and then you go into the unit. And by all means, if you're here and not don't have an exact unit, you know, you can go to USAG Redstone and select that as a unit if you want to make a donation. And you're here on the Redstone area. You know, other than that, I mean, is there other uh, areas that the AER or some that you might want to uh, cover so people know and understand what the Army Emergency Relief Program does? Sure. The Just going back to a slightly previous point really quick, just wanted to highlight something that, that you stated about the importance of this program. AER has actually helped over 2 million soldiers uh, since the inception of AER with approximately $4 billion of assistance. And actually, one billion of that has been just since 9/11. So I mean, a can't be stated enough. AER is is really a great program and has really helped quite a few soldiers over the years, and especially in these last uh, 20 years or so during this time of conflict. But but moving into the, there's quite a broad variety of of categories that AER can actually assist with, and they kind of break it down into some main categories. Some of the categories are uh, basic living, privately owned vehicles, uh, medical, unforeseen emergencies, permanent change of station. And then they actually formed a whole new uh, section of categories just last year, specifically geared towards the COVID-19 response. So I won't I won't go through, you know, every single category, but just some that I kind of found interesting as well as, you know, might might be super helpful for those listening you know, AER can help with such things like rent, mortgage payments, food utilities, POV repairs or maintenance, like like you were saying from that earlier story you shared, Sergeant Major, child car seats, replacement vehicles if you need it, dental care for dependents, uh, cranial helmets if, if your dependents need those, emergency travel, funeral expenses, safe travel due to domestic violence. And then, like I was saying, again, they, they really ramped up their COVID-19 response last year. So anything from childcare assistance to expenses that come from the remote education requirements that a lot of people are seeing over these last year, as well as expenses due to the, the DOD travel ban that has been in effect. So there's really, you know, a wide, vast areas that, that they can help you with and it's it's a really pretty awesome program. I agree, sir. And, uh, you know, again, I want to thank you for uh, taking the, the time out of your busy schedule and also, uh, you know, stepping up to the plate and volunteer to help out in pushing this program, the Army Emergency Relief. It's it's really a hand up for soldiers, you know, as we continue to push forward. It's, it's just ho- soldiers helping soldiers. And by all means, we need a uh, uh, you guys' contribution to continue to do that so that way the warfighter can uh, concentrate on its mission or on their mission uh, and not have to worry about emergencies that should pop up because we have uh, people out there helping us out. We have the AER program uh, that help out soldiers in need, and you listed quite a bit of uh, uh, areas that the uh, Army Emergency Relief Program helps out. And I don't know if uh, all our listeners know all those categories that uh, s- that soldiers can be helped out uh, by the Army Emergency Relief Program if they don't know. So by all means, uh, you know, this really to, to get the word out there to everybody to know and understand a little bit of the Army Emergency Relief Program. Uh, sir, I just want to say thank you f- 
for uh, giving us some insight on the on this program and uh, kind of pass it over to you for last comments so we can uh, close out our podcast today. Sure. No, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to kind of get the word out like this. And I mean, like like I was saying before, even, you know, I was surprised by some of these these categories that I saw here. I didn't necessarily know that AER covered it. So, you know, if you're if if you're a soldier and you are in some sort of unforeseen circumstances where, you know, money is tight or, or you might be worried, you know, don't don't hesitate to reach out to commander or, you know, the, the AR officer on post because, you know, odds are they they can help you with with whatever you're going through. And they do that through some really great programs. So it's uh, it's my pleasure to, to have this opportunity and help AER keep, you know, getting better and, and continue doing doing the good work that it does. Most definitely, sir. Thank you so much. You know, I'll, I'll to all our listeners again, thank you for tuning in. And if you can find it in your hearts to give a little bit, one-time donation or a uh, setup of uh, allotment for a donation, anything helps. And we want to say thank you for uh, tuning in to the Bluff Line. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. So what I'd want to do now is kind of transition into our mailbag segment, which, you know, allows us to kind of dive into certain questions or comments that come in and gives us an opportunity to address them. Um, you know, what I'd like to do is, you know, hand it over to uh, Jonathan so we can kick this uh, mailbag off. What you got, Jonathan? Well, this week we got a ton of mail about weather closings. They they were asking about the process that takes place when, when the arsenal decides to close. They were wondering what the difference between the arsenal closing and, and early release is. And then they were also wondering about what the process is to actually get that information out. Like, where can they go to look and, and get that information? Right, right. No, I mean, I think that's that's pretty valid. And, and I say that because, you know, I'm from El Paso, Texas, and we don't get too many tornadoes in that area. We do get some sandstorms, but not tornadoes. So when I came up here with my family, you know, and I I knew this was an area that uh, potentially could have tornadoes and, you know, the 2011 tornado was definitely something I read up on. But it's like, what do you do? Where can you grab information? And and how do we go about ensuring that our uh, community workforce here has the right information. And I can tell you that the the colonel gets briefs on weather updates, especially when the weather's getting bad. And and we get the uh, National Weather Service uh, brief from uh, the Huntsville and how it's going to impact the, the the areas of our our counties. You know what I mean? And what that does, it breaks it down into um, several areas, and I'll just kind of brush over them to, to, so everybody has an understanding. It, it talks about, you know, threats of the Redstone area, the timing of those uh, threats, the rainfall totals and expected impacts, and, and where they stand as far as, like, enhanced levels. So some of those enhanced categories is either will fall into a marginal, a slight, an enhanced, a moderate, or a high-level category, and it kind of gives the uh, colonel and the boss a uh, an indicator of where we stand and what we should do for Redstone Arsenal. So after they take a look at that information, what are they looking at when they decide to close? Like, what is there like a certain threat level, or is it just a—what goes into that decision? 
Well, I mean, I can tell you that uh, one, we're looking at Redstone Arsenal and the impact that any severe uh, weather uh, threat could be for the installation. And, uh, you know, and then we start to look outward and see, you know, Obviously, we got our workforce that lives out there, but we're really looking to see, is this going to impact Redstone Arsenal and how is it going to impact? And then we start to look at, okay, are people that work on the installation, is there areas that they are living at that uh, will also be uh, impacted too? And, uh, you know, I can tell you that a site like this last one we, we did, we went through, the message that went out uh, was, it, it went like this. It said, ladies and gentlemen, due to the abundance of caution, due to the potential of extreme weather, the senior commander has authorized early release. Early release at 1,200 hours uh, for anything expect, except mission essential personnel, right? That allowed our tenant commanders uh, on the installation to go ahead and make a decision call at their um, um, areas of operation, right? I mean, we just wanted to make sure that as the installation, you know, earth early release was authorized and it kind of puts the commanders that are, are also in charge of their uh, tenant organization, the ability to say, okay, look, you know, because where we stood was, you know, it wasn't a severe hit or threat at that time to Redstone Arsenal, so I gave the tenant commanders the authority to, uh, to say, okay, do we have a uh, an essential mission that needs to keep, continue to keep going? And uh, because there's no immediate threat on the installation, we can continue to go. And if not, let's look at it. Let's make a good assessment of what's going on. And uh, if we need to, we'll, we'll release too as well. I, I think some of that got lost in translation when that message went out. I, I think a lot of people missed the step of that the, the decision fell on their local leadership to, to release them or not. And, you know, I get it, but I, I think people forget sometimes that the mission of the garrison mm -hmm. is to keep the garrison open and which allows all the tenants to, to do what they do. What it does, you know, it gives the flexibility for each commander that's in charge of their tenant organization the ability to make an assessment. And uh, with the early release, we essentially are saying, hey, look, if there is not an, an essential mission going on, you know, you you as the commander will uh, decipher that and say, okay, there's not a mission essential. Let's go ahead and early release. Let's see where our people live. If it's uh, an area that may impact and it's, for instance, further south, and we need to release those people to get to get home, then the commanders have that that ability to make that call. And we're not just shutting it down and not giving no ability for some wiggle room of uh, our tenant commanders. You know, I think when when we push out that we're shutting down, you know, a lot of times some gates get closed down, we'll leave one gate open. So we didn't want to do that. So that way, you know, if tenant commands are starting to push people out, the gates are still open, allows people to go ahead and, uh, and leave, and they don't have to make any adjustments from their normal gate that they leave out of. Of course, you know, the exchange and the commissary, they make uh, their decisions as well. I know they kind of closed down uh, a little bit in the down the road uh, on that day. We fell under an enhanced weather warning, which meant on the Redstone Arsenal that there was going to be numerous severe storms possible. It, 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 we, weren't, we weren't getting any tornado indicators uh, for Redstone Arsenal, and that's why it weighs on the decision to either close or 
early release and leave the tenants the ability to go ahead and make that call? I kind of wrote a column because it, there was a lot of confusion surrounding the early release versus closing and, and where do I turn and what exactly does that mean? And I kind of ended it abruptly on saying that there's a certain amount of personal responsibility that goes into severe weather around here. And because it's nothing new to, to anyone who's lived here more than a day, it's nothing new. We're, we're used to tornadoes. We're, we know what we need to do. You know, I get that you don't want to lose a vacation day because you had to go home and make sure your kids were okay or, right. you know, go home and make sure that you got into your safe space and that your house was fine and all of those things. But I feel like in that moment, when there is a severe threat like that, and just based on what a lot of us have been through before, at the end of the day, that that one vacation day is inconsequential. I think it's great that the past two times we've had a severe weather threat that um, the leadership here has said, hey, the first time we're going to close, the second time we're going to give people the opportunity to go home and take care of their business. But at the end of the day, I also think as an individual, you need to be prepared to go home and take care of your business. That means you eat a vacation day, eat a sick day, eat whatever, you eat it, right. but you do what you need to do. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, we are making the best call we can, right? And like you said, uh, the one, the, one of the first days we closed, the second day, it, it was a, a lot less, even though it might have looked about the same. But through the National Weather Service of Huntsville, you know, we fell into a, a, a lesser category than the, the first time. So, you know, we, we decided to go to a early release and give the tenants the opportunity to, to make that call. But you're right. Personally, I think there has to be an internal risk assessment done uh, at the individual basis and, and say, hey, look, if, you know, if you lived in a more severe area, like say down south where it looked a little bit more prominent of it coming through and you feel like you need to go home, by all means, like you said, uh, you know, take that day and, and I guess if you want to say chalk up that day to get home and make sure everything's safe and secure at the home front, you do that. And people that might have lived up north, you know, where it didn't look like it was going to be any uh, severe weather, they make the judgment call and the individual judgment call to say, well, it's not that bad. And I'll just continue going, you know, as long as I'm uh, needed here for a mission essential type of uh, job. And if not, then. I'll, by all means, if my boss says go home, I'm, I'm going home too. And I think, I, I don't have the numbers to back this up, but I think when the Arsenal did the early release, I think a lot of people went home anyway. I think NASA sent a lot of people home. The other tenants sent a lot of people home. I know around the garrison, a lot of people were sent home. Right. Essentially, it, it did the same thing as closing the post, but I think there was just this moment of confusion and, and trying to figure out how that's going to work. I think, it, you know, like I said, it allowed them to, you know, on that message that was pushed out, it also said all employees should remain in close contact with their direct supervisors to ensure they have their organization's specific release plans, right? So that really allows the supervisors and the, and the tenant commanders to say, okay, I mean, is there a mission essential work going on right now? And if there's not, Let's go ahead and be safe and send our people home. So like you said, on that day, the majority of people did go home. I mean, if there wasn't something mission essential going on, you know, the post was uh, was pretty empty by the time I was heading home. And it was right at around 1.30 when I was pushing out. And 
there was nobody hardly ever uh, on the installation except for key personnel. I mean, obviously our our police officers and our guards and our, our emergency services uh, fire is is going to be here to ensure we stay safe. Um, but, uh, you know, unless there is an, an, um, an essential mission going on, I, I didn't see too, too many people. So. Now, one thing we did get a lot of feedback on was people were trying to find information and they didn't exactly know where to go. You know, I sit in the PAO office. Mm-hmm. So I kind of get to watch them react and and do what they do. Um, but you have a number of channels right. to to go. Um, I would say Facebook and Twitter are probably the best. Just from the side of which one is easier to update, where can you get the fastest push out of your information? Uh, Facebook and Twitter are two of the best tools that they have. Uh, there is the Redstone website, but I believe that day it was having some issues. And so some of that information was lagging and it wasn't updating. And that causes a lot of confusion. And, and that's a problem, especially when you're dealing with a, you know, a, a severe weather threat that's moving in. You know, for people out there, I would say check Facebook first, yeah. check Twitter second. They also, you know, the PA office, they're going to push out an email to everyone they that's on whatever list they have. Right. No, and, and you're absolutely right. That is a good question. Where do I get information? And, uh, you know, for me, it's it's an opportunity to do a uh, shameless plug-in of my PAO and my IEOC uh, here on Redstone uh, because uh, as soon as we get something uh, with some inclement weather, you know, where uh, there could possibly be some, uh, some things to be looking out for, uh, our IEOC will send a weather report out to all uh, .mil emails, and uh, anybody that's working on the installation will get that. You know, our PAO is quick to push something out on Twitter or on Facebook. Our team rests on Facebook, uh, showing that there is uh, inclement weather or anything that uh, you know is is of big interest that people need to know will be on there. And then, of course, you know, we have the digital garrison app that is. Uh, uh, another means of getting information, you go into that app and uh, you should get a uh, a warning or a message showing that there's inclement weather. And of course, we're working through um, the some of the issues with the digital garrison app, but I can tell you that it's coming on board and uh, I'm starting to get some of those messages too. So by all means, uh, those are our ways of getting that information here locally. If you want current and more inclement weather information, you know, there's a 24-7 hotline that you can call, and it's an 877 number, 863-1462, and that's to the National Weather Service for Huntsville. And you can get uh, straight information like we do from that uh, uh, Huntsville uh, or National Weather Huntsville uh, uh, brief. But uh, we get a lot of those indicators from those places, and, you know, you can get the latest information. Uh, another number that you can reach out to if you're interested in some uh, local weather is a 256-890-8503. That will give you local uh, weather too as well. So a lot of ways to, to reach out and find information, but by all means, we're going to do our best to, to push out what we got and what we hear and the briefs we get so everybody's well informed, but there are other means as well. Now, just to I think this is interesting. Um, when it comes to the information y'all get, it's not like you're sitting there watching the, you know, meteorologists on TV, right? Right. 
It's uh, y'all are getting pretty up to the minute information from, you know, the people who who do this every day. Don't aren't y'all even in contact with the local EMA and stuff like that? Yes, we are in contact with the local EMA. We we are in contact with the uh, Air Force radar system that uh, gives us updates along with the National Weather Service uh, as well. But, uh, you know, we we get all these updates to ensure that we are making the best decision for uh, Redstone and all our community and employees. But, I mean, other than that, you know, as we talk about severe weather and as we're leaning into some of these uh, severe, severe weather seasons, you know, I often thought, well, what should I do? You know, what as, uh, you know, uh, a father with my children here and my wife here as well, you know, and I had to Google because I had not been around uh, too many tornadoes. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I was always asked to, you know, along with the Google reading it, it talked about ensuring that you're ready at the, at the house with flashlights, uh, a radio, you know, candles, those types of things. And we had to really look and make a plan, like, where would we go? You know, if there's no shelter right away to, to get to and it's already hidden, I mean, it's uh, obviously a room that doesn't have windows. We, we looked at, OK, we're going to grab this mattress and, and, and get into the tub right here where there's no window to put the mattress over us for any debris that might follow. You know, we, we, we had to make a plan and I hadn't really done that or had to think about that. But it, this being here gave us the uh, opportunity to make a plan at the home front, like you saw, you talked about some individual responsibility and be as prepared as we can. And then also look at some of the local shelters that are around the area. You know, one of my favorite tips that I forgot who gave this to me, but they said what a lot of people overlook whenever they take shelter and everything is protecting their head. So if you just wear a bike helmet, because I forgot what the percentage was, but like most of the major injuries that cause from someone who who's been through a tornado are head injuries. Right. And, you know, that's probably when you look at a survivability of injuries. Right. You probably want to protect that head. So they were like, yeah, just grab a bike helmet and just throw it on and. You know, it's going to increase your chances. Yeah, and most definitely. And uh, one of our checklists on that, uh, you know, prepare for a severe weather tornado was, you know, I, I ride motorcycles. So uh, I did put on there, I didn't mention it, but I did put on there, you know, grab the motorcycle helmets and uh, put them on if we're, you know, we're already there and we need to, you know, kind of shelter down or hunker down at the home front. Uh, put on your helmet uh, or a bike helmet, motorcycle helmet. You know, even if you got a skateboard helmet, whatever, to protect your head. And that was along the lines of the mattress as well. But, yeah, anything you can do to protect your head because there could be a lot of flying debris and you don't want to get hit or you don't want to get smacked around and not have something to, to protect the, to protect your head. But, yeah, most definite. And, I, you know, I just want to say thank you for tuning in uh, to the Bluff Line again. You know, we bring the latest information to you guys and uh, you reach out to us on uh, on something that you might want to hear or concern or question you might have and continue to tune in. And uh, other than that, we'll catch you on our next segment.